Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, another episode and our final episode for the fall quarter of Word on the Street. Omar, how are you doing today? That's Giannissa. I'm I'm vibing. Um, it's currently the beginning of week nine out of ten. Like it's it's brutal out here. Uh, but you know what? Yeah, just vibing, trying to trying to make my way through the week. Yeah. How are you doing? Ooh, grad school's <laughs> not fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, so many people told me that ahead of time. And they're like, it's gonna be, it's gonna be so great, but it's gonna be the worst time of your life. And I'm like, yeah. you weren't kidding. <laughs> <laughs> at least you were mentally prepared <laughs> I was I thought I was but no it's just it's it's a lot of work like similar to you it's just there's a lot going on Work week nine assignments are piling up papers mm-hmm. are piling up but um let's go ahead and move on from our stress personal lives <laughs> and talk about what, what we got going on today and uh some things coming up in the RC and OML house um First off, we want to start off by saying that it is Native American Heritage Month, and because we're celebrating that month and the heritage of this population, we wanted to let you know on a couple little things that are coming uh, very soon. One of those being the one of those being our digital difficult dialogue, which this week, which will happen on Wednesday at five thirty p.m. via Zoom. Uh, I will leave a link below if you would like to join us is it is going to be talking about uh, beyond the land acknowledgement and what we need to do as uh, members of Santa Clara uh, for the native population that was here and is still here and what needs to be changed and what we need to do beyond just stating that we're on their land because there's a lot that we don't say and there's a lot that we don't do because one we're at a loss for what to do, but two, like, we just don't acknowledge it. We, we, it's been so discussed in our history that we just brush over everything before America was founded and, like, what it took to found it, to find it and things like that. Um, what other things do we have going on for Native American Heritage Month? <laughs> Um, fantastic question. So we are actually, throughout the month of November, have been screening uh, Reservation Dogs, the show from FX that focuses on uh, Native American stories. And so we are having our final showing and discussion on Monday, November 29th in the Sese de Se, or De Sese, oh my gosh, uh, (laughs) museum uh, in the uh, Santa Clara campus, or it is also being streamed uh, virtually. So just RSVP for the link. There is a lot of information on our social medias about that. But yes, that will be the final uh, screening, which I believe is um, the Monday right after everyone gets back from Thanksgiving. So fun times. Definitely recommend to check that out. Uh, And then finally, throughout this week, we are at the time of this recording uh, in the middle of Transgender Awareness Week. And so we are having a movie screening and a bit of a talk back about the Changing the Game movie, which focuses on uh, transgender identities in athletics and sports. So that is going to be facilitated by one of our lovely co-workers, Valeria. Um, Very fun stuff. Uh, Very excited to see how that goes down. But yeah, Anissa, uh, kind of like what you were saying, just lots of stuff going on about uh, Native American Heritage Month. You know, lots of lots of stories uh, to be centralized and to be heard. Um, and honestly, I think some of these sh- things should be done whole year round, and yet we're only doing them in the span of a month. But uh, such is life. There's not much we can do uh, to change that. So fortunate. Right. With any time that there's a Heritage Month, there, of course, we're celebrating during that month, but there is so much more that we can be doing and can still do throughout Mm -hmm. the year and things like that. Um, As I kind of mentioned at the very top of this, this is going to be our final episode of the quarter. Um, We will meet back with everybody fresh for winter quarter. I do not know of the date just yet, but we just want to welcome you all back for 
staying with us for listening to these episodes for this season and for just being here. We greatly appreciate everybody who listens and everybody who wants to be a part of these activities that we listed before and future events that we're going to be having. So why don't we go ahead and just explain what we're going to be talking about for this uh, episode. So after the last episode, which was folklore from across the world, we wanted to range back into topics that make you think, make you contemplate a little bit about our history and how a lot of things have affected uh, the world at large and also the queer community that we're a part of. So we are actually going to be talking about colonialism and the LGBTQ plus community. How has it affected BIPOC communities and their views of the LGBTQ plus community? What uh, homophobia, transphobia has brought about and where did that actually stem from? Um, so any thoughts before we get in? Um, it's just, (laughs) I mean, the biggest thought that comes to my mind is just, um, I mean, thinking of colonialism, the most obvious thing that comes to mind is, of course, uh, racism and classism, um, lots of isms, um, all over the place, but, uh, yeah, it's very interesting because especially, you know, as we begin to talk about, um, LGBTQ+, uh, experiences and problems and issues and any other words that you would like to think of, um, it is sometimes compiled by the fact that there is, again, just a lot of these uh, systems of power that are in place. Um, for example, I don't know if we have uh, talked about it in our uh, podcast about representation in media, but one thing that I am kind of remembering of, and we can maybe talk about this more in just a bit, uh, is a scene from the show Pose, uh, which I believe was also from FX, uh, come to think of it, where, spoiler alert also, um, where the two two of the main characters who are both um, BIPOC trans women um, are attempting to go to a gay bar, um, you know, and they're trying to get drinks. However, they are refused service and they are kicked out uh, repeatedly for the sole fact that, you know, either it is because they are trans or because they are BIPOC, um, because basically all of the patrons in the bar are gay white men. Um, And so it's just like, there's all of these layers that come about. And so, you know, just thinking about colonialism, a lot of the effects that it has had um, and continues to have, honestly, in the world today, you know, that, that's just one thing that I'm thinking of, and, you know, again, we can dive into that a little bit more, just layers upon layers of stuff. Yeah, yeah, we, we definitely still see the ramifications of it, uh, in our day-to-day lives, and it is also being portrayed in the way that we view television and movies and things like that, this, the effects and ramifications of colonialism on BIPOC communities, is never ending. And um, so let's go ahead and get into homophobia, transphobia in communities outside of the US because I feel like that's also something that we don't talk about enough is that all of this happened before the US. The US is only so many hundreds years old. This started before its creation and it's lasted throughout. It's been made into Mm -hmm. the structures of the systems that we have currently in place that all work to uphold the values of colonialism and uh, the values of white supremacy. Like these structures are meant to take down and rip apart BIPOC communities to keep them from being together. So accounts of homophobia have been noted within many communities of color and some have have stated that pointing out these phenomenons have been cloaked in racism as if by doing so, uh, BIPOC communities are less progressive and less West than westernized individuals. However, we need to be critical of where those ideas and beliefs stem from, and those ideas do stem from colonialism. Uh, this is a quote uh, from, I will also leave references in the link below if anyone would like to check out the articles where we get our information. Uh, 
Upholding an insidious element of white supremacy, some people conveniently ignore that many cases of colonialism and external impacts are the only reason for the mistreatment of queer people in our communities. Uh, there is a direct correlation between countries which belong to the Commonwealth and therefore have previously been under British rule, and those countries have still uh, have homophobic, biphobic, and or transphobic legislature in their constitutions. 25% of the world's uh, population currently live in the countries belonging to the Commonwealth. However, they are disproportionately large 50% of countries that still criminalize homosexuality. But this phenomenon is specific to those who were under uh, British rule. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to to hear all of that. Um, Cause I'm sorry, I'm like making all of these different connections all at once. Um, but I'm reminded of a book, oh my gosh, let me look it up. Um, that I remember reading in uh, high school called Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebin. Um, and it like, I mean, basically it was just the story of, you know, African colonization and the introduction of Christianity as a religion and just like how a lot of things um, come into that. And so it's just like hearing a lot of this, again, this colonialism, what a, what a time. Um, there's so many things that fall into it. And so, you know, I, I know that for a lot of, you know, indigenous communities in all of these different places around the world, a lot of them have had no real, what's the word, just like no real ideation of gender. It was just like mainly you are who you are. Like if that means that you like present as male or present as female, then, you know, so be it. Uh, for example, with Native Americans, there is the, uh, there's like the, the two-spirit people. And so it's very interesting because a lot of you know, colonialization was based on religion and like converting people to Christianity, um, which that on its own, I feel like could be its own episode um, as well, talking about religion and, and the LGBTQ community. Um, but I feel like because of that and the specific, you know, ideas in Christianity of like, you know, the most basic one of like marriages between men and women, yada, yada, um, that created the binary that, you know, a lot of societies have today. Um, and it's just like fascinating to think that that is where, you know, a lot of the gender binary comes from and how before that, that didn't exist, you know, <laughs> like people were people and there were no real like there were no norms, you know, there was nothing typical, nothing that was like forced upon people, um, at least to my knowledge, I, I should say. So yeah, just very interesting uh, to be hearing a lot of this stuff, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you bring up the mention of these values being placed in Christianity and uh, through those things, because it is something that while doing research, it was something that I came across very often, especially with the British rule. Um, so for centuries across African continents, there was a completely different attitude that you had already brought up about sexual and gender identities. Uh, many African countries did not see gender as binary in the way that their European colonizers did, and nor did they correlate anatomy to gender identity. In no African country prior to colonialism do we see any persecution of LGBT plus individuals because of their sexuality, nor any LGBT plus laws. Uh, colonialization and the spread of fundamental Christian attitudes from British meant that much of Africa lost its previous cultural attitudes towards sexual orientation and gender identity and were then forced to adopt new values from British colonizers in the 19th and uh, 20th centuries. From that, homophobia was legally enforced by colonial administrators and Christian missionaries. Uh, Anti-LGBTQ plus laws were not only written into constitutions, but also into the minds of many African people 
and after passing of several generations, it still exists. It has then leaked into mindsets that we see even in the U.S. today. Um, going into more like beyond the U.S., because I do want to get back to like two-spirits individuals and the Native community here in the U.S., uh, I just thought it might be interesting to bring up some uh, other forms of examples from prior to colonialization and things like that. So, for example, in India, pre-1700s, there was no difference uh, shown in queer and heterosexual relationships or in gendered identity. In fact, the Kama Sutra has an entire chapter on homosexual sex positions and supports the existence of trans and non-binary people. Uh, it wasn't until British uh, colonial rule in India introduced in Section uh, 377 a law that criminalized sexual acts against the order of nature. Um, this was based on the 1533 Buggery Act, and although it is never explicitly mentioned homosexuality, it has historically been in, uh, interpreted in that way. In terms of legislation, though, this was one of the most long-lasting in former colonies. Uh, the British also cracked down on transgender populations, labeling a uh, Kinar, an unlawful tribe in 1871. And since then, uh, India had claimed their independence but kept these colonialized uh, ideologies and laws in place. And unfortunately, just they've been embedded. And so it's been a struggle to push for LGBTQ plus rights and namely non-binary and transgender rights because it's been so deeply ingrained that many have forgotten where that information came from in the first place. It wasn't from the people. It was from those who came in and forced their way of life onto other people. So then in another example, uh, with Egypt, prior to European colonization through the African uh, continent, we see far different and more relaxed attitudes towards sexual orientation and gender identity. As far back as 2400 BC, tombs have been excavated in ancient Egypt where two men's bodies were embracing each other as lovers. Like it wasn't uncommon. It was just a way of life as it is and should be looked at. <laughs> um, in and addition they were two mates. They were two mates. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my vine, my vine addicted brains. <laughs> and they were two mates. Oh my God, they were two mates. <laughs> I apologize for anyone who doesn't who doesn't get Vine references, but Omar, that was perfection. I just want to say right now. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I've seen that before, but I'm just like, I I'm, I don't know. My mind just went to that. But anyway, yes. Oh my God, they were two mates. Again, sorry for people who either don't know what Vine is or don't care. Anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. So in addition to the two mates, uh, their acceptance of same-sex relationships, uh, ancient Egyptians, uh, similar to other civilizations at the time, not only acknowledged a third gender, but verinated it. Uh, many deities were portrayed androgynously, and, god and goddesses such as, I apologize if I mispronounce anything ahead of time, uh, Mut, the goddess of motherhood, and Sigmet, a uh, goddess of war, are often depicted as women with erect penises. Like, they're just, there isn't really a set forth gender placed on them. It, uh, I'm sure the naming of certain genders came from anthropologists and people who were probably white and westernized and placed those labels. I'm sure that wasn't a thing before I can't state that because I one I'm not a part of that community and two was not there in those times but knowing what we know from the other parts of history I would assume that a lot of these labels where we're learning in history now came from westernized information and having to place those gender roles and things like that. <clears throat> in my last little bit of examples in other parts of Africa in the 16th century, the Imbagala people of Angola uh, had men and women's apparel with whom they kept amongst their wives. In contrast, King Henry VIII 
had just signed a buggery act of 1533 in England, which criminalized sex between two males. Um, the last man to be sentenced to death by hanging in England uh, was in 1835 for engaging in homosexual sex. Whilst at the same time, there were openly gay monarchs uh, in Uganda, uh, present-day Uganda, who actively opposed Christianity and colonialism. So we had queer leaders. Well, not we as in us, but like history has queer leaders prior to all of this. And that's now lost because of infiltration of westernized views and colonialism and it's and it sucks because you you learn about this and as a queer individual you get so excited and you get like oh my gosh that's amazing and yet this part of history is kept from you because where we exist in the U.S. they'd, ra they'd just rather teach you their very rigid way of thinking it, they don't open up to BIPOC communities. They don't open up to queer communities. They just shut everything down and work to uphold structures that keep us from uniting with one another. So any thoughts about before we head into uh, Native American and uh, here in the US, anything that from the history that you like to talk about or like that resonated with you from what I presented? I, it, it's just, so a lot of these like are new to me the only real like example I knew of was how in you know ancient Greece at the height of its time um to put it very crudely people were hella gay um and so you know that came through in like the mythology and a lot of other stuff but now it's like seeing so many other examples of like actual you know queer uh and just like historical figures especially those in power um because for them I feel like they are setting the example of like oh this is this should be acceptable because like your ruler is engaging in it and it's like no one wants to go against you know whatever a specific ruler is saying and so it's like it becomes a way of life and then Thanks, colonialism. Oh my gosh, how to how to ruin it? Oh well. Exactly. Had to just infiltrate, do all the rape, pillaging, everything that you did, um, which then unfortunately leads us into well, okay, the events of what took place. Unfortunately, leads us into what happened with the native population, not negative of the native native population. Okay. So regarding the Native community and, as you brought up earlier, the Two-Spirit individuals, uh, research shows that more than 150 different pre-colonial Native American tribes acknowledged third genders in their communities, and that, uh, and that may have been a unifying feature of different pre-colonial cultures. Traditionally, Native American Two-Spirit people uh, were male, female, and sometimes intersect individuals who combined activities of both men and women with traits of unique uh, with traits unique to their statuses as two-spirit people. In most tribes, they were considered neither men nor women. They occupied a distinct alternative gender status. In tribes where two-spirit males and females were referred to uh, with the same term, the status amount to a third gender. Uh, Interpretations of the role and standing of two-spirit and third-gender people varied uh, from tribe to tribe. What is clear from these accounts is that gender and sexuality were certainly more fluid in Native American society than in European society. Um, this is also another quote from uh, one of the articles that uh, presented our information. Uh, the effects of colonialism in Native American communities resulted in both marginalization on the basis of racial slash ethnic identity and also gender and sexuality. Christian European colonizers condemned same-sex relationships and gender variation as sinful and used these beliefs to further dehumanize Indigenous people. Native American Heritage Month enables us to honor and build awareness of these legacies left by many whose stories are rarely told. 
just sit with that. Uh, anything coming up for you so far with that? Um, no, I mean, it was just a, uh, like a new term for me because there was, um, again, I'd love to relate this to, to my everyday life um, because <laughs> it, it's just like, it shows how much a lot of this bleeds into um, everyday life. But there was a book published recently, which I think is the, the first representation of Two-Spirit People, and it was a YA book. Um, let me try to find it here. It was, uh, yeah, so Ziggy, Stardust, and Me by James Brandon. Um, so Ziggy, Stardust, um, for anyone who doesn't know, was a persona by Bowie, which I believe was meant to be androgynous, right? Like, no, no real distinction on uh, what gender they were. And so this book kind of focuses on this, uh, I, I believe it was just like, oh my gosh, no, let me, let me look it up again, because it, it's been a while since I first heard about this book. Um, let's see, it was, yeah, so published 2019, so it's been like two years now, ooh, two years since 2019, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> There is, so this one revolves around a 16-year-old boy who is, like, bullied, very anxious, um, and finds a lot of, you know, finds, like, a safe space in the music from the, the Ziggy Stardust albums. Um, and so through that, you know, he then meets a Native American boy who is also uh, Two-Spirit. So it's just, like, learning about what it was then. Um, and now I'm like, I, I should read this now <laughs> because I have it on my bookshelf at home. Um, but it's like now doing research for uh, the episode, learning about uh, Anissa, like hearing you talk about a lot of the stuff. It's like, this is a very real thing um, because there are a variety of people that, you know, hold this identity. So it's like, I don't know, just the biggest thing that comes up for me is the fact that, like, I should probably learn more about this. Um, and, yeah, it's just fascinating to think about because it's not, uh, like, an identity that I really knew about. Um, and I think, you know, working at the Rainbow Resource Center, I should be more aware of a lot of these identities. Um, so, yeah, I have a lot of learning to do to, to, be, to be frank. Well, that also just goes into the fact that we, one, no one ever knows anything or everything. Um, you, to be truly educated, you are learning constantly. Whether it is in a school setting or teaching yourself, you are constantly learning new things and changing your perspective based on new information that you perceive and new understandings of other individuals. Uh, socialization and just understanding people different from you is a huge part of learning more. And of course, there is just a lot that we do not know about the Native population or things that have we have been told that were just straight out lies and uh, glossed over and uh, fixed so that it made us as American populations like better in the eyes of history so that we aren't so bad. We aren't so this or that and the other. And it sucks because uh, as with, uh, as the quote has stated, uh, the dehumanization of indigenous peoples uh, took away those stories, took away those voices, uh, along with the murders and atrocities that they had gone through as a people, the outright genocide that uh, had been experienced. Anytime that we talk about genocide in school prior to like my college education was always reflecting on the atrocities with the, the genocide from World War II with uh, the Jewish population. But that isn't the only form of genocide that has happened. The U.S. hides our own forms of genocide, our own form, uh, forms where we should be culturally humiliated and learn from 
our history instead of repeating lies repeatedly over and over and over just to make us feel better or make white people feel better. It's more important to hear those voices, but it's hard when those voices have been shut down for so many years and so long. Which is why a part of what I would like to do here, because neither of us, I want to check in, neither of us uh, are a part of the Native population, correct? Like, we don't have those roots. I think it's important to talk uh, about these things from the voices of individuals. Uh, before I go into that, I wanted to read some uh, accounts from individuals based off of a uh, them article uh, talking about colonialism and the native populations and in indigenous communities. But before that, I wanted to just share uh, some two-spirit leaders from the 1800s. Uh, one of them was uh, Weiwa, which again, I apologize if I mispronounced, uh, from the Zuni tribe. Weiwa was a member of the Zuni tribe in New Mexico. Uh, she was what the Zuni called Yahama, uh, which was a traditional Zuni gender role who was assigned male at birth but lived in part or mostly as a woman and wore women's clothing. Uh, Yahama people uh, did a mix of women's tasks in daily life but also fulfilled special functions usually reserved for males in the Zuni society that included spiritual, med spiritual med meditation skill and craft, and the knowledge for instructing others. Uh, another leader uh, that is known as a two-spirit individual or uh, referred to in a different name because the name also, uh, two-spirit is actually a colonialized term, but it is just like a grouping of these individuals and each tribe have, had a different variation of name for these uh, individuals. So Oshtish of the Crow Nation, uh, Ashish was a leading bate of the Crow Nation and held an esteemed position in her society. In the Crow Nation, it was not only acceptable for one to be bate, but they were often regarded as highly and being in bridge between two genders. Being bate, Ashish uh, was allowed to take on both traditionally female and traditionally male roles and was known for excelling at both. She was esteemed not only for the amazing sewing skills that earned her the right to make the Crow Chief Iron Bulls a buffalo skin lodge, but she also was known for her ferocity in battle. Her strength as a warrior is what earned her the name Oshtosh, which translates to finds them and kills them, but not only incredibly uh, threatening and impressive, but also refers to the time she helped another soldier by shooting a wounded enemy in the Battle of Rosebud. So like I said, neither of us here represent people of the native population, and we also both identify as cisgender. For that reason, I think it would be more impactful here to, uh, to hear from voices that represent these communities. Uh, so this is from a, uh, these are personal stories from a them article that I had stumbled upon. Cool. All right, and so to start us off, we've got Sam Campbell, who uses they, them pronouns, and they are a member of the Bay Area American Indian Two-Spirits. Uh, story is, for Native American tribes that recognize many genders, the Two-Spirit people were sacred in some way. To be Two-Spirit is to hold a male and female spirit inside of you. Some cultures treated them as caretakers and teachers. Others recognize them as being a bridge between humans and the spirit world. Those two-spirit people were medicine people for those tribes. The view of two-spirit people varies so widely among different tribes, it's hard to explain the mortal to explain the importance of our existence pre-colonialism. There were two main ways indigenous people were faced with European contact, assimilation and annihilation. The major shift around the acceptance of two-spirit individuals revolves around religion. Our people are, were taught that practicing our ceremonies or any traditional practices was to stray from a Christian or Catholic God and thus was considered demonic. Our people had two choices, accept God or be killed. For these religions, a deviation from cis-heterosexuality was a sin and that was instilled into the minds of our people. 
the Spanish would round up two-spirit people, throw them in a ditch, and have their dogs kill them as a display of punishment. The shift into Western religion cut ties to our traditional views of gender and sexuality. We're still fighting to keep those memories alive." End quote. Wow. Uh, one is just a powerful image to last with, but it it's important to reflect on those and think of those because these aren't going to be things that are presented in history books. These aren't, as of right now, these aren't things that we're going to talk about because many people get uncomfortable with it, but screw it. Live in discomfort. Understand, because that's the only way to keep learning. If you just feel comfortable every day of your life, you're not progressing. You're not learning. You're taking nothing away from the story and the life of another person. Uh, with that, I would like to go on to another story. Um, this is Candy Candy Brings Plenty. Uh, they use they, them pronouns. Uh, from the Indigenous Justice Organizer for ACLU South Dakota and head of Two-Spirit Nation. I was very much impacted by a gender binary expectation as my parents were both boarding school survivors. Uh, but because they were the the last generation who were forced to go to boarding schools, they also held on to their faith in our Lakota spirituality and way of life. They raised me in our traditional ceremonies and taught me to walk in both worlds, with our Lakota spirituality in one hand and my education and colonial concepts in the other. I've known I was two-spirit since my Head Start teachers told me uh, I was a girl and couldn't do the things that boys did. But I used to go to powwows and dance like a boy. I dressed freely, but I had no terms for my identity. It wasn't until I was an early teen that I grasped the concept that I was bisexual and informed my family. It wasn't until that I was 16 that I learned that what two-spirit meant, and I knew I found myself. But when I learned about they-them pronouns and the definition of non-binary, I felt I found my true authentic self that communicated exactly who I am, end quote. I really like this story as well, just because I think it, like, fantastically puts in, you know, someone's journey of self-discovery. Um, it, it sounds very, like, live, laugh, love to say that, but it's, like, I think it genuinely um, is a very, like, good, you know, Oh God, what's the word? I don't know if representation is the right word, but it just very much shows how things change as someone comes into a lot of different realizations, learning about lots of different terms. Uh, and I know, you know, again, we might've discussed this in the past, but I know there's a lot of people who very much dislike these labels because they feel that it puts them into a box and there's a lot of, you know, just pressure to maybe conform into what that box says. But to another degree, I think that it's a good way for people to find others that are similar to them in terms of, I, I know I keep saying the word experiences, but that's the only word that comes to mind. Uh, and so I, I really find it interesting because it's like, like this story, you know, finding out what two-spirit means, finding out what non-binary means, finding out, you know, the use of they, them pronouns. Um, it, it's just very nice because so many people find comfort in them and they feel seen and they feel validated uh, in their identities, which I think is fantastic. I agree. I also think that this story speaks to what we've been talking about in the very beginning and what we continue to talk about now and colonialism's effect through acculturation that we still see with a lot of, this of course is with someone who is of Native American descent and they uh, have learned uh, not only their own traditions, but have also had to continue on with what an outside perspective and an outside uh, forceful perspective has, was forced upon them that we see in a lot of migrants uh, where they have to take in their values and also, or they 
It is pressured for them. They do not have to. It is pressured for them to take on the values from where they came from and also take in like American values when they migrate here, which is, of course, is seen in different ways, but it's still that forceful, like, you need to do this to be a part of this when you don't really have to. So the line where they say, they raised me in our traditional ceremonies and taught me to walk in both hands with what with our Lakota spirituality in one hand and my education and colonial concepts in the other speaks perfectly to the acculturation that they were faced, especially having to go to those residual boarding schools. <clears throat> All right, and for our next story, we have Brandy Kiki, who uses she, her pronouns. Uh, Brandy is a Cameroonian LGBTQ plus activist, entrepreneur, Living Free UK director, and Rainbow Migration Trustee and Black Beetle Health Trustee. Um, <laughs> lots of stuff going on with Brandy. Um, but her story goes, the Western concept of masculinity and femininity promoted, by, promoted the anatomical binary, erasing transgender and gender nonconforming Africans who didn't fit into this rigid Western gender structure. For example, during the pre-colonial era, Feminine men of the Langi tribe of Uganda were known as Mudoko Dako. They were socially treated as women and could marry men. Britain came in and declared carnal knowledge against the order of nature, introducing anti-sodomy laws <clears throat> under the Penal Code Act of 1950. These laws have since been upheld and strengthened by legislators in Uganda, making homosexuality punishable by life imprisonment. Most of what I know about my gender is highly influenced by Western imperialism. I find myself questioning my identity as an African woman. Am I the creation of colonizers or the continuation of my ancestors? I genuinely feel excluded when it comes to conversations surrounding gender identity in the UK because of the lack of mainstream conversations that center intersectionality. My gender, racial, and sexual identities integrate uniquely creating compounding issues. End quote. I think that one that you know, very fascinating and amazing story and also speaks to acculturation and having to hold those two parts of yourself together to fit in or choose not to fit in. Um, this, of course, is somebody who is living in the UK, so it's not a US-based or in uh, Native American story but it's still something it's a voice that needs to be heard as well these are still uh people who have been overlooked who have been told that they are wrong that because of colonialization and their views and westernized approaches when they need to be heard and they need to be listened to um and for our last uh story for today or our last account uh from someone's voice is Demiso Gasha. Uh, they use they them pronouns. They're a member of the African Queer Youth Initiative and founder of Success Capital. Europeans thrived off of civility and what they look like. We see it even today, especially with the white gaze of femininity and how that has impacted sports. See Castor Semenya or Serena Williams. This does not say that patriarchy and misogyny do not exist in pre-colonial existence, but they did not thrive off of the supremacy. Instead, those systems had elements of collectivism and mutual accountability. When you cannot self-determine, practice your culture, or publicly acknowledge your ancestry, you are then denied the very basis of your identity. So gender beyond binaries were taken away from us, the African people, as with India and many other regions. These implications mean that we queer individuals are denied equality before the law and opportunities to lead fulfilling, healthy, and dignified lives. It means we do not have the economic health or social safety nets afforded to those of other virtues and our vulnerabilities or our identities, a microcosm of elitist and exclusion on the basis of who we are. We are denied the essence of collectivism and community. Ubuntu, Ubuntu, a Bantu term for that underscores common humanity. Because of these constructs of colonialism, 
that underlie a drive and drive systems today, end quote. Uh, so once again, the story is not of uh, the native population, but it still speaks to those uh, terms created by colonialism and uh, European uh, ideologies that are meant to distract from binary, who create the, or not distract from, that create the binary and what it means to be this way or another, instead of listening to that of someone's own identity. It is meant to erase them. It is meant to overlook them and deny them healthcare, deny them rights as just people in general. So even though all of these stories that we have uh, taken from and discussed in this last section of the podcast, we're hearing the pain from each individual. We're hearing what it's like to be denied your identity because it doesn't fit somebody else's mandate or somebody else's order, which is ridiculous. And it is something that still affects, it is something that was stripped away years and years and years ago. And we still see the ramifications now. We still see how colonialism has affected the LGBT commu LGBTQ plus community and namely non-binary and transgender folks around here it still lives in our lives. So what do we do to break from it? How do we dismantle those systems? And one way that comes to mind is listening to those voices, speaking out, do things that don't make you comfortable because when you're comfortable, you are complacent. You do not, you'd rather live in your own comfort than be able to speak up for yourself or with other people. Yeah, I think that's that's brilliantly put, Anissa. I think just like another thing um, is the continuous learning. Like you had mentioned earlier, like there is a lot that I still do not know. Um, and I think definitely like a part of it is, you know, like you've discussed, there's just a lot that has been erased and that has just been taken away from the spotlight. And I think, again, that's why it is all the more important to center these voices and to hear these stories directly from the people um, that, you know, have been affected. Um, like we mentioned, we are both not Indigenous, we are both cisgendered, so we don't know what it is like to have to face all of these trials and tribulations. So hearing these voices and uh, again, just making sure that these uh, people are, you know, elevated so that more and more people can uh, hear what they have to say is, is greatly, greatly important. Um, and again, yeah, just emphasizing what Anissa said, you do not grow if you're comfortable. You only grow when you get out of that little comfort zone and you do stuff and learn things that make you uncomfy. It may suck, but in the long run, I think, you know, everyone is all the better for it when there's uh, uncomfortable situations and you're able to learn and grow from that. So yeah, lots to think about. Yes, embrace cultural humility, embrace cultural competence, learn and grow and don't settle for, for comfort. Um, I know that this podcast today has been heavy overall uh it is in like that's what we mean you have to sit in discomfort sometimes you have to do things mm -hmm. to learn from other people and one of those ways is hearing from voices and hearing from stories and accounts from those uh impacted by things such as this and um though this was a very heavy way to end uh this quarter <laughs> this quarter overall has been very heavy personally <laughs> Mm -hmm. So it, it does seem like a very fitting, and also it seems very fitting being that it is uh, for what we spoke to for the Two-Spirit community. Uh, it is Native American Heritage Month, and it is Trans Awareness Week. All week long, we're celebrating, we're learning, we're remembering, we're doing mm -hmm. all that we can. Um, before we head out, I just want to remind y'all to come check out the events for this week. 
This Wednesday, we are be holding our 3D uh, Beyond a land, land Acknowledgement from 5.30 to 7. Uh, we're also unaware of when this podcast will also come out, so it may have already passed by the time it comes out. Uh, however, if it hasn't, please join us. It's via Zoom. I will link stuff below uh, so that you can join and participate. Uh, we will also be screening uh, the final two episodes of Reservation Dogs, uh, which will also be linked below. That is happening uh, next, or no, 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 the Monday after Turkey Week. And uh, I will also, like I said, we'll be linked to that below uh, to join in um, Transgender Awareness Week. Be sure to come join us this Friday uh, in the California Mission Room from 5 to 7 for a viewing of Changing the Game, where we, uh, our wonderful co-worker Valeria will be showing the movie screening and also hosting a talk back to talk about what the movie was and what uh, we can do for the trans community at large. Um, anything else to add, Omar? I don't think so. Just want to say thank you to everyone who has been listening up till now, and I'm very excited to future podcast episodes in the following quarter. Love to see it. Oh, yes, I'm so excited. Um, also, link below, remember to, uh, if you would like to write in, join, comment on, or suggest episodes for Word on the Street podcast, please fill out the Google form uh, listed below, or it can also be found in the Rainbow Resource Center's Instagram bio. Um, remember to follow us on Instagram that will play at the very end or also be in the description. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, and YouTube, depending on where you're, if you're visually watching us. Hi, nice to see you. <laughs> if you're listening to us, hi, thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, go ahead and check our Spotify and our YouTube channel for both of these and, uh, engage with us in any way that you can. Uh, this is, this has been the final episode of the fall quarter for Word on the Street. Uh, I'm Anissa. Thank you for joining and we'll see you later. Yes. Thanks all for listening. All right. Bye. Bye.